Brand new year. Brand new year. <laughs> First episode. We got to yes. start the year off with a bang. How are we going to do that? Bang! We got another Olympic athlete. Yes, sir. Yes, Not only do. did we get an Olympic athlete, we got an actress, we got a writer, we got a film producer. Talk about a jack of all trades. Yes, yes. I'm so excited. And she knows her stuff when it comes to mental fitness, mental health, and it's super exciting conversation and we're excited to kick off the year of 2021 it's going to be a great year we know it with this interview with alexi pappas we're like super excited for this one man her, her story is extraordinary i mean it really is like if you think about uh, what you guys will learn um what she endured as a child the tragedy in her life that she'll describe for you to to sort of you know deal with that and then still go on to to be you know the best uh, at what she does in life the best of her profession a world-renowned runner and you know a great ambassador for sports you know someone who really has a story that's a true tragedy to triumph story um you know someone that really knows all about mental resilience mental toughness you know all the things that, that we talk about on this podcast she embodies that and um, can't wait to let our audience know all about her. Yeah, you may have seen her in the New York Times feature recently, and uh, she's got a book coming out shortly, and we'll talk all about that. Let's go. One, two, three, break. Do, do you feel me? Do you feel me? Do you feel me? What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to Sports Like MDs, episode 55. Today, we have a very special guest who is no stranger to success. Alexi Pappas may be a long-distance athlete, but she certainly covers all the bases. From graduating magna cum laude to representing Greece in the 2016 as a track athlete, to starring in movies with Nick Kroll, to writing poetry. Alexi has been a strong advocate of mental health awareness amongst professional and collegiate athletes and is releasing her memoir this upcoming January titled, Bravery, Chasing Dreams, Befriending Pain, and other big ideas, along with Maya Rudolph. Ladies and gentlemen, Alexi Pappas, thank you so much for coming on today. How are you doing? Thank you for having me. I'm doing great. And, and how are you all? We're doing well. So we have, a, we have a quick question for you that we ask all of our guests. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your hype song? Well, here's the thing. I feel that that is a really like personal question that I actually keep to myself and I'm I'm gonna say that because like I respect it I feel like that song that I listen to first of all I'll say that it changes like I'll go through phases of what song speaks to me but I feel that it's like my time with myself to zone out of the world um but I'll tell you some of my past songs because um those are you know fair game right like mm-hmm. the current song that's inside my head um but i have enjoyed uh you know in high school driving to every cross country meet i would listen to the strokes with my dad um in the car and i've always loved the strokes and so i think that's the one i'll share uh that album like it was just like a high school soundtrack and anytime i hear uh reptilia i believe i just mm-hmm. feel like i'm nervous before a high school cross country meet again wow nostalgia yep that's cool yeah. that's awesome so you take your music very seriously but we appreciate that 
Yeah. I just think it's one of those, like, you know, it's my time to like key into myself. And, um, is that part of the pre-run routine? Listening to a good song? Pre, pre-race, certainly. Okay. Like, I think there's times when you want to be on edge and like at, in that like high, you know, I think it's like a fight or flight mode really that you get before races and it's unsustainable. So you don't want to be there all the time. And so I think when you activate it, it's like at thoughtful intervals, right? Mm -hmm. And I know there's a lot of mix and I've talked to like amateur runners, people who just run for fun and you're the, at the highest level of a cross country runner. Do you, when you do run and train, do you listen to music when you train or completely no music? I like music. Okay. Like if I'm alone, if I'm, I would much prefer company to being alone if I can have it. But when I'm alone, I, I honestly most often listen to podcasts uh-huh. and audiobooks because those make me feel like I'm in conversation with someone. They make the run feel less long because it's, it's like you're carrying a conversation, whereas a song might last like three minutes. Um, during really hard workouts, if I'm alone, I'll listen to music, though. Okay, nice. So one of the things that we uh, as sports psychiatrists like to talk about is this notion of mental fitness. And by mental fitness, we're referring, of course, to you know, resilience and, you know, wellness of the mind and, you know, how important that can be in competition. So when you're running, you know, distance running in particular, I imagine mental fitness could be really important from the standpoint of, you know, I have to just kind of like, you know, remain totally focused uh, on something other than like the pain, you know, that I'm sure, you know, kind of sets in at a certain point, you know, and, and obviously having to kind of pace yourself throughout, you know, and kind of, I know you guys plan ahead and think ahead, you know, in terms of uh, where you should be at certain intervals and just kind of having that like total focus um, is mental fitness from, you know, in terms of how we described it, is that something that has been, an important part of, of your success, something that you've kind of embraced in your regimen? And um, if so, are there any like particular techniques like mindfulness or anything like that that, that you've been, been trained on to use? Yeah, so, you know, all sports and running is no exception are pretty mental and running is definitely as mental as it is physical particularly with long distance running. It's so, it's such a mental sport. And so I do think you can train, you know, your confidence and your, um, your expectation for that pain uh, in the same way that you might train and strengthen a, a body muscle. And I remember learning that from my college coach uh, at Dartmouth was named Mark Coogan. He was an Olympian himself and he I think engaged like in training us uh, as, as much on the mental side as the physical side. And he didn't force it down our throats. Like it wasn't like now we're doing mental training, but, but we knew what he was doing and he gave us essentially permission to believe in ourselves. And I think that gift of confidence and that muscle called confidence is something we can grow and we can get it from other people. We can grow it ourselves as well, and I think there's there's a number of ways to do that, um, and I think we we must because because to toe the line 
uh, as fit as ever is nothing if you don't have the mind to to push it when it inevitably hurts, which it will every single mm-hmm. day, you know? Right. Yeah. Well put. I love it. We, uh, we were interviewing uh, in a Olympian. I think he was, yeah, he was a cyclist about a month ago and his sports psychologist joined the podcast as well. The one that, you know, uh, he trained with uh, back during his Olympic days in the seventies. And uh, they talked a lot about this technique they used called visualization, mm-hmm. which, uh, you know, we call sensory activation uh, as sports psychiatrists, but it's essentially, you know, be able to kind of like call upon one of our, you know, our, our sensory functions to just kind of almost like, be the vector for uh, our focus, you know, just kind of creating like the mental, mental map of, you know, what we, what we ultimately want to do, want to accomplish. Um, is that something that was, was ever kind of useful for you in terms of your preparation uh, in, in, in a race or for a race? For sure. Yeah. And I talk about it in, in Bravey in the book and um it is visualization, and I think what visualization means is controlling what you can control. And and for a runner, which I, I'm I'm assuming it's similar for a cyclist, actually, you know certain obstacles that you're going to face. Like you can tour a course ahead of time and know where the hills are. You can look and figure out who your competition is. You can. You can um, even look at the weather. Like there are certain things you can kind of, you can predict. And once you know those factors, um, the visualization is like a process of mentally overcoming those barriers that you anticipate will will come so that when you get to those actual barriers, so let's just say two or three days before the race, I know there's a big hill, you know, two thirds the way through the race. I visualize two thirds or a couple of days ahead of time myself not only you know approaching the hill but getting through the hill and and succeeding or passing uh, someone who i want to beat in the race and what's fun about it and what's helpful is that when you get to the actual obstacle in the race your mind has already made the decision that you're going to do it and you you've already committed and you've already in some ways seen yourself through that obstacle and it is really powerful and and there will be some obstacles that you can't predict. And so I think it's always helpful to visualize the ones you can so that when you get those unexpected, you know, someone trips you, like things you really can't predict, uh, you have some willpower to overcome those when they come as well. Absolutely, That's very powerful. It sounds like you're almost committing it to muscle memory just by visualizing it. Yeah. So I'm definitely curious about kind of, how sports impacted you growing up. And I definitely want to get into all the other things you're doing, including your, your memoir, uh, Bravery. But what initially attracted you to running? I know, I think I read also that you enjoyed soccer as well. Yeah, I loved other, many other sports before I loved running. Um, and I think the reason was because I loved the team element of these other sports. Uh, and running was clearly my strength in other sports, soccer, basketball, um, and sports like that. Uh, but it wasn't until I found like a group around me, uh, to enjoy running with, which wasn't until college that I found a love for running. Um, and I think the, the point here is that as much as running 
seems like an individual sport on the outset at its best it feels like a team sport and I think once I found that that like community to work hard with and running is a pretty social sport I began to love it um and I think it's important to have that joy you know I was good at running but to, to have that joy was really when I started to excel in running and then um you know we talk about this in the book and the book is called Brave V so there's no it's okay it's a made-up word so I'm dyslexic (laughs) it's okay there's so it's gravy and that is actually um a term that like a lot of my young followers call themselves and it's a term that came out of a poem that I wrote so I think to your point about the imagination and visualization that's been a big part of my life and I think um, imagining things into existence has been huge and, and bravey kind of encapsulates that. Cause like it is a, it is a made up word, but it has, you know, it has roots in a real word and, and what it might mean uh, is, is up to your imagination. Love it. Tell us a little, little bit more about bravey then that I imagine it was a difficult process kind of writing this. Mm-hmm. I know that you had written things before, definitely written poetry, you've made films how was the process like writing Bravey and what was the most difficult part about that process, whether it's exposing kind of some vulnerabilities? Um, if you can tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, I think so, you know, memoir, book, different than social media is like an attempt at capturing really the whole story. And so often when we see, you know, a successful person or a role model or an athlete on social media, we're kind of getting these snippets of what what they're doing now or thoughts, but they're all, you know, snippets. And I think what was challenging and also really thrilling about putting the memoir together was trying to capture the whole story so that people understood that even though where I've ended up is like, looks good on paper and is like really pretty, you know, it like it's a pretty picture there was a lot that went into this this product and it was a lot different than someone might imagine if they're simply thinking about an Olympian or actress on paper, right? And I think the importance of it is to is to show people the the full journey of how I got here so that hopefully it's not only giving them tools to chase whatever dreams they have, but also to understand that I'm very human. And the path was was more circuitous than they might have thought. And the challenging part of writing it was uh, just, you know, I think crafting a book that had as much detail as possible, but as little excess as possible to tell, you know, an effective story, you know? Who, who would you say would be like the, like the target audience? Like, yeah. You know? So I, I think... You know, I have a strong, like, younger female audience that I think this book speaks directly to because I think that's mm-hmm. who I who I was seeking mentorship as, like, a young girl. And I lost my mom when I was four and just, like, tried to find mentorship wherever I could. So I think that's, like, a core audience that I really care about. But I know that this book speaks to dads. I mean, it's as much about parenting as anything else because... Mm-hmm it's the way my dad raised us. He raised us as a single dad after my mom took her own life. And I think there's a lot in there for people who are 
you know, raising kids or chasing dreams or going through their own mental health journeys. So um, I don't know. I mean, we have, I was so grateful that, you know, there's been a lot of support for the book already. And it's come from a range of, of people from like young female athletes to, you know, Richard Linklater, the filmmaker who he's a dad and an athlete himself. So I think that speaks to the audience well. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's so compelling about the, the story, uh, in addition to, I mean, obviously there's a, you know, tremendous accolades, but there's also this story behind the story of tragedy to triumph. You know, obviously a lot of families, a lot of children from, from family that, that loses, you know, the matriarch of the home would really suffer, you know, and, and, and kind of be broken from that, you know, and, and to go from, from that experience to, you know, being a, you know, the top of, you know, your profession, a world renowned athlete, like that's, that's, uh, that's very compelling. And I think it's a story that goes far beyond just athletes and talking about, you know, young women and, and, you know, inspiration, you know, people that have gone through tragedy in general, right? People that have gone through trauma in their lives and had setbacks say, you can still, you still make it to the top. You know, we talk about this all the time in our podcast, wanting to heal people, not just with medical treatments and so forth, but with stories and, you know, connecting, you know, with other people and, and these uh, great stories like yourself of what could be, you know, what's possible. Well, I think what's cool about what you guys are doing is really like when, when I did have um, like challenges, I had like a post, um, excuse me, I'm turning off this. um, It's called a TENS unit. Athletes will know what it is. Oh, we're familiar. Absolutely. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. So turning off my sports gadgets. Um, (laughs) So I, I think that what's special about what you guys are doing is you know, when I did have a post-Olympic depression, which, which happened to me and happens to so many Olympians, I like found the most comfort in finding a team to help me that was not just like a psychologist and then a psychiatrist completely separate, which I know is like common, but to find a team in Eugene, it was just, it was one person, but he was, I think, like-minded with you where it's just, it's about more than the medication. There's like a whole process and it's so helpful when you have like one coach who can encompass that whole picture and I think that is really rare and it athletes are usually great athletes and not great coaches and love having their coaches and I think what's cool about what you guys are doing is it sounds like you're approaching it from that whole that more well-rounded vantage point um, which translates well for an athlete who knows how to be coached, probably doesn't know how to manage input from a million different like resources. And I found that like the most exciting thing or the most effective thing when I had those challenges was finding someone who could do play both of those roles. And I think what's it's really exciting that that sounds like what your approach is, where mm-hmm. there's um you know, there's a lot of things that are going to go into the crock pot of healing and, and optimizing performance. Absolutely. And the more, the more you can 
play multiple roles for an athlete, the better uh, and the less confusing for the athlete, I think, you know? So well put. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what it's about. I mean, you know, therapy, sports uh, psychologists, you know, obviously they provide therapy, the visualization, training and so forth. I mean, that's something that sports psychologists brought into the, you know, the sports community. But for us, what I think, you know, Dr. Trojo and I have always prided ourselves on is the fact that, yeah, unlike a lot of psychiatrists, we love therapy too. We love doing therapy. We're, we're both, you know, something that really, you know, we understand that it's the most transformative aspect of, you know, the treatment process in mental health. Yeah. Um, so we both apply that and always have even at the, when we were residents, but we can also do what we call the next step. We can go to the next step, you know, in yeah. the treatment yeah. when necessary as well. And that's so helpful because so often athletes, unless someone objectively tells them something, we are so hard on ourselves and assume that we should be capable of it all by ourselves. And I think like to be told you know, when I was at like the most challenging point by a psychiatrist that like, I had a scratch on my brain and like, I needed to like, take this as seriously as I might my Olympic dream. It meant something coming from someone at that level. And it also meant a lot to me that I wasn't just told that and then left to figure out all the resources and steps on my own. And that's just incredible that that's what your vision is um, because athletes are probably the the toughest people on themselves mm-hmm. um, and will benefit so much yeah. from having it come from someone like you. That's like hearing from an Olympian coach. I believe you can be an Olympian. Like it means something different when it comes from the right person, you know? Yeah. I, and, and I think that, um, you know, the medical model, you know, of course, psychiatrists are, medical doctors uh, that practice in mental health, right? As opposed to to psychologists who are specializing in the field of study of psychology. And the the medical model provides a more like very systematic approach to things that I think really actually fits the the sort of sports and athlete model, right? Where it's system-based, right? We, We need an algorithm, a program, like a a way of processing all this information, you know, that, that makes sense. That's a, you know, kind of a formulaic thing that we can all, you know, understand and be on the same page about and where it's more concrete and clear. And I think that kind of symmetry is something that psychiatry as a medical brand, as a medical practice can bring to the mental health and sports community, you know, um, to, I think really like, we believe take it to you know this whole other level which is kind of like all coming together at a time when the world is embracing mental health in you know ways it never has before and therefore stigma around accessing mental health care and, and treatments is reducing you know so it's all it's it's a confluence of of things that i think is going to be really great for everyone particularly athletes yeah, yeah, it's an it was a, it's a nightmare trying to get help. So I hope it becomes less of a nightmare. You know, the analogy you made, like when you heard your psychiatrist say that it was just like a scratch on the brain, um, and that allowed you to to treat it like it was a physical injury and attack your mental health the same way you would your physical health. I love that 
quick like five minute um, feature you did with the New York Times. That video was amazing. Um, actually, before uh, Armin and Ben uh, said we should get you on the show, uh, my mom sent me that video like a couple days before that because um, oh she knows God. I'm interested in sports like, mm -hmm. psychology. So um, that just really resonated with me. And and you also mentioned, and you guys were just talking about this, how there was never a set like mental health expert, and correct me if I'm wrong, throughout your training prior to that point, or at least it wasn't kind of easily accessed throughout your years of, of running in high school and college um, prior to going to the Olympics. So yeah. was this something that you had ever, had you ever had any mental health struggles prior to this point? You mentioned you're, you're at the pinnacle of your profession yeah. at the Olympics and it all kind of crashing down after that. Um, did that kind of blindside you and come out mm, of nowhere? Yeah. It felt like it blindsided me. It felt like it came out of nowhere. I think in retrospect, it makes sense that, um, it makes sense that it happened because I think since losing my mom in the way that I did and really not understanding why she would have taken her own life, I was always chasing the feeling, um, I always wanted to matter because I felt like I didn't matter to her enough for her to stay. And that's not obviously true, but, but from as a child, I didn't understand that. And I didn't really understand what a mental illness was. And so I think that my response was to chase a lot of external accomplishment to solve what was ultimately like an internal problem. And so when you ask like, did I have any feelings before that? Truthfully, no, this was a situational depression it completely blindsided me. But in retrospect, there were a lot of um, things I probably could have addressed to prevent it just as far as my approach in life. And like, why was I chasing these, uh, you know, external accomplishments? And so I think I wasn't doing, and I wasn't exposed to any kind of, if we want to use the athletic metaphor, prehab, which is like a term we use to prevent injury in our bodies. Um, I had no prehab for you know what I faced and it probably could have been you know a lot less severe if I had some training or if I simply understood that my brain was a body part a little bit sooner um, because even when I was sick and exhibiting these like red flags I didn't I was in complete denial for several months until my dad made me get help and it really there there are clear signs you know, losing sleep and, and all sorts of anxiety that, that showed that I probably should have gotten help a lot sooner. And from somebody more than a life coach, like I, that's something you'll read in the book in Bravey that like at first, you know, I got a life coach and it was like, I was so far beyond that. I needed like really a doctor. I needed a professional. And I think there's a lot of you know, levels of help that we need, but I was beyond you know, a life coach type support at that point and didn't, was it? Was, was there resistance at the time initially to, to have you see like a, a specialist, like a, like a doctor or psychiatrist type? Yeah, I was in, I mean, I think elite athletes uh, of all people are in great need of the muscle that asks for help and don't necessarily have it. Um, and part of it was because I completely did not understand my brain as a body part. I didn't understand that it could get injured and also heal. Like I didn't understand that simple thing. I just, yeah. I just tried to do it all on my own. And in fact, the first psychiatrist I met with, which I also go into in the book, it was awful. Like she sat me down and she was like, 
you are about to kill yourself and we need to put you on like really intense drugs so that you don't. And then you need to find a psychologist to pair with my medication. And I'm really grateful that I had another appointment that day of somebody else to meet with who event, you know, Dr. Arpea and Eugene like saved my life. But what if I didn't have the other appointment, both of which I got through favors. So like it was impossible to get these appointments and I'm an Olympic athlete and I couldn't even get an appointment without asking someone to like, please squeeze me in. So I think it's really a shame, like how random it is when people get good help and that even, you know, had I gone with the other woman just out of necessity, I don't know that I would have been okay. I think Mm -hmm. I would have been, um, I don't think that was a good fit for me. So I, I just, I'm just curious because I, I obviously I don't have any, anywhere of an inside track on what happens at like the Olympic Games and so forth. But I imagine um, that it would be like you guys do have a, some sort of medical center there for like urgent, like an urgent care kind of thing, right? Yeah. Is there any mental health component no. whatsoever? That's really interesting that you say that because there's not, so there's a, and it's funny. So there's the, there's a poly clinic and there are dentists, there are orthodontists, there are eye doctors, there are podiatrists, you know, there's every kind of doctor. I am sure there might've been some psychologists, but no one was made. uh, There was no conversation about that, or I am not aware that there was one. I'm not going to say that there wasn't, but it was not presented in a way where I was aware of it. Um, so perhaps there is in the polyclinic, and I was not aware, but... People should know. I mean, everybody should know that the service is available. Yeah, but truthfully, I think that the problem is not... It's not the Olympics. I think that athletes need to be prepared before they get there. Absolutely. And True. So I think that to ask, like, was there that at the Olympic Games, like... At that point, you are, I, I would hope that this type of vocabulary and support, first of all, there are zillions of non-Olympic athletes that face these issues. And it's not just Olympians. It's just that if Olympians are facing these issues, then surely other people are too. So I think the real question is how can we change the the rhetoric from the high school age and and down? And how can we just train people to see their brain as a body part and help them before there's a problem. And I think that that question of what's going on at the Olympic level is, is honestly not the right question to ask because it's, it's all the, it's all the preliminary, it's everything leading up to that point that creates a person who's able to handle that, that pinnacle Mm -hmm. with grace and handle the moment afterwards with the understanding, um, you know, that, that I now have, but didn't have going in. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I Absolutely. couldn't agree more. And that's why we need memoirs like yours to, to be out there and be read by so many different people. So that yeah. stigma can continue to be broken down. The rhetoric can change. And I think there is a misnomer that there's misnomers that mental illness isn't real. You can tough it out. Um, there's misnomers. If you get treated for mental illness, that it could somehow impact and decrease your ability to perform which we know isn't true either. Um, it can only help. And um, I'm going to steal that, uh, the word prehab, because I think we could, we could start word. using that <laughs> in psychiatry as well. Yeah. Um, but you're, you're not only an athlete, you're so much more than that. And you've 
been more than that. When did you start writing? I know that you you majored in creative writing. When did is this something that was also a passion along with sports as well when you were a kid? Yeah, yeah. I would say the creative side almost like preempted the athletic side. I mean, I was always an athlete growing up, um, but I was also super into theater and uh, and writing. And that has um, long been the case. And I think it's just one has always helped the other. And, you know, it's helped me at this. It's always helped me to know that I was doing these sports by choice and that that I had this other passion to do all the while and forever uh, with the writing and the filmmaking. So, yeah. We definitely always try to preach having a well-balanced life. Now, you being an Olympic athlete, um, how did you manage to balance everything? Because you were putting out movies, you shot a movie in Olympic Mm -hmm. Village. Yeah, thank you. So, I think there's always like a misconception that people who are doing a lot of things are doing it all at once. and it's it's not happening all in the same moment, but it is happening, you know, over the course of like very structured days and weeks. Like that's the honest answer. And there's always a priority. Yeah. So when I'm training for the Olympics, the running is my priority, meaning I'm not going to stay up past 930 at night, no matter what writing deadline we have. And that's why I'm so lucky to have a partner in Jeremy who can pull an all nighter when I'm when I can't. So I think there's like the first thing is just knowing my priorities in any one moment and knowing what the North Star is. And then just being a diligent planner and and trying to hyper focus when I'm when I'm in one scenario or another. Um and knowing that that it's not forever and these things ebb and flow. So like the race will come and go and then I will hopefully have a period of time after a race where um I'm taking a break and I can stay up a little later. So I do think there's just a time and a place for everything. Um, and I try to see everything as a choice rather than a sacrifice. And I think that's just a vocabulary shift, but it makes being busy feel more empowering because it is my choice to do all these things. And so that's helped a lot. Where do you see your career going um, over the next five to 10 years? I think, you know, there's still a Tokyo Olympics in my eyesight. It's definitely shifting how we approach the Olympics because of COVID. So we'll see. Um, but I I think it's going to be exciting to see where this book takes me. I would love to be more visible and help um, make these big shifts with the mental health dialogue and with how we approach it. Um, we have more movie and television projects in the works. So it's sort of more more of the same, but bigger doors opening. And, you know, with our first film, for example, nobody cared that we were making it and that's fine. But then every film after that has has garnered more people believing in us and, and helping us make it at a different level. So um, I'm excited and, and I live in LA now and it's that's different than when I was living in these mountain altitude towns and training. So I'm putting myself yeah. in a position to keep being the runner that I am, um, but allowing the sport to grow with me. And I think that's the number one thing about sports is they, you change and they change hopefully with you. Uh, and, and that's a healthy relationship to have, you know? Absolutely. 
Yeah. You're so well versed in, uh, you know, this, this idea of mental fitness, you know, and, and how to, and mental, mental toughness and resilience. I hope that you continue to, to educate young women, and, you know, and empower young women. And young men as well. Not just through sports, but in other ways. I'm feeling inspired. Come on. No doubt. Boys can be babies too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so true. 100%. Well, thank you guys. I'm so excited to hear more about what you're up to. Um, I think you're in touch with Melissa from my team, but I would love to, you know, learn more about what you're up to here in LA since I'm here too. Absolutely. Yeah. We're both on the West, uh, West side. In fact, we live right around the corner from each other. Um, sort of in the Palms Mar Vista area. Nice. We're out and about uh, as far as this sports like in D's brand, though, we, we actually want to want to do some big things in 2021. Like we want to get out there. We want to get with some, you know, professional organizations and deliver our content, our curriculum. We actually have a, an entire program, um, like a course on mental fitness. Okay. And uh, we want to get that into, you know, the professional sports community. But as more of like a community service, we want to get into the public school district here in LA and hopefully deliver this to young athletes, you know, at the middle and high school level. That's so. awesome. Well, I am pumped to hear more about it. And I hope that your community finds their way to Bravey. Um, and hopefully that, yes. helps. I don't know, hopefully that, that those specific narratives help someone just have the, the confidence that you know they're on the right track they can do it you know so thank you absolutely i think your story I, I we really appreciate you having you on but your testament to resilience having this really well-balanced life achieving these high high extremes and you're, it sounds like you're just getting started so we wish you the best of success um and tell everyone when bravey comes out is it has it released yet no, so okay, Bravey comes out. Bravey um is my book with a forward by Maya Rudolph. It comes out January twelfth. Nice. And everywhere where you buy books. And it's more than exciting. I think I think it's gonna um help and, and inspire and empower a lot of people. So I hope you find Bravey and uh and thank you for having me. And for for those of you who don't know, it's like right there behind her, her to her left hand. <laughs> Right the, the book cover. Yeah, there it is. It's there as well. <laughs> Go out and get it. Go get um, it. Is there going to be an audio it's version? A cool cover. Yep, there's an audio version. Maya Rudolph read her forward, and I read the book. You read so. it? Oh, okay. How was that? My voice. It was great. Perfect. So awesome. Yeah. Yeah. For cool. those of us in LA that like to listen to our uh, Audible on, on our commutes, I think that's a good option as well. But definitely go out and get Bravey. Thank you, guys. Yeah. We're going to have to have you as a, as a guest speaker one day for our, our, our program. That would be really awesome, I think, for uh, young athletes to see. Absolutely. So. Uh, Lexi Pappas, yeah. thank you thank so much. You. Okay, talk soon. Bye, guys. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Take care. Do, do you feel me?